We got conference realignment, dream scenarios, and some future scheduling notes on today's mailbag episode of the Locked On Zags podcast. Let's get into it. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. going on y'all welcome to the locked on zags podcast for the locked on podcast network your team every day i'm your host and longtime gonzaga podcaster andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things zag athletics happy monday happy last day of july happy first day of august to many of you who are probably listening to this show on tuesday it is being published late on monday afternoon we got a mailbag show for you here today been a while since we've done a full on mailbag episode uh, for those of you who are curious how to get involved in mailbag monday you can always email me andy patton 013 at gmail.com the best other way we're kind of going away from twitter a little bit we are going to use this discord channel i have posted a link to the discord in the show notes if you click on that link you can invite it to join the server that way you can get access to sending me mailbag questions whenever you want and i will be posting on Sunday afternoon or whenever I'm looking for questions, I'll post in a channel there and you can get your questions submitted to me that way. All right, we're going to get right into it. Got a lot of great questions to answer today. This first question comes from Dave on Facebook. Yeah, there's also a Locked On Zags Facebook page for those of you who haven't checked it out yet as well. Question is, did Colorado's move to the Big 12 make it more or less likely that Gonzaga will be in the Big 12? Less is, is the my kind of gut reaction. I, I don't know that it changes the dynamics all that much because we had kind of been trending towards Gonzaga going to the big 12 seeming less and less likely even before Colorado made this move. Now that doesn't mean that Gonzaga is never going to go to the big 12. It just meant that the kind of momentum that had picked up surrounding Gonzaga and the big 12 back in March and April, and even kind of may and June a little bit has died down. Part of that was because the Big 12 showed continued interest in UConn. Uh, they've always had the goal of expanding coast to coast and improving their basketball brand. That always is why Gonzaga was connected to them. But there are other schools that can help them do both of those things. And UConn, more than any other program in the country, fits that bill. They have football, which makes the financials a little bit smoother. They are a premier basketball brand. They just won a national championship. They got five of those in the last 25 years. Uh, and, of course, they are a coastal city, coastal town. So that makes a lot of sense for, for the Big 12. I think adding Colorado, mostly what it means is that they have pulled the thread that is likely going to eventually lead to the end of the Pac-12, or at least as we know the Pac-12. My suspicion is that Arizona and Arizona State and Utah may follow suit, end up in the Big 12, which would then be the Big 16. Not sure how the rebranding efforts are going to go there. Regardless, that would put the Big 12 in a position where they're not going to continue to add beyond that, at least not anytime super soon. Uh, so that leaves Gonzaga on the outs for the Big 12. Could mean a lot of other things for them. Could mean the Pac-12 invites them finally. Could mean the Pac-12 merges with another conference. Could mean that UConn goes to the Big 12 and the Big East needs another school and maybe they look westward. There are a lot of things that could happen out of this. And so I don't want to imply that Colorado going to the Big 12 doesn't mean anything for Gonzaga because I think it could mean a lot of different things for Gonzaga. I just don't think it means that they're also going to the Big 12. Sticking with the conference realignment, this question comes from Ball Don't Lie on Discord who says, what, in your opinion, is the best case scenario for conference relocation going forward for the Zags? 
This is a tough question. It's one I've wrestled with a lot because I've been posed this question before. I've talked about it on previous episodes and it's just dependent on so many factors. This is an incredibly cop-out answer and I'm not going to end on this, but it really is kind of dependent on what Gonzaga feels is best for them because there are a lot of financial logistics. And I don't think that my answer is necessarily whatever makes Gonzaga the most money, because frankly, that's not my biggest priority. I want what is going to make Gonzaga a more recognizable basketball brand, what is going to get them more marquee opponents, more fun basketball games, and ultimately what I want more than anything else. And it's the same thing that all of you want, whether you're an everyday listener or a first time listener to the show, I want Gonzaga to win a dang national championship. And whatever conference they join, if that makes their odds of winning a championship better, then so be it. I have also been a champion that the WCC is not holding back Gonzaga from winning a championship the way that many people believe. And this is an opinion that I hold that some do not. And I understand that. There are many people who believe that the WCC is what is preventing Gonzaga from winning a championship. The WCC didn't poke Shemek Karnowski in the eye in the final four game against South Carolina and preventing him from being able to put a ball in the rim against North Carolina. The WCC, although some people will disagree with this, the WCC is not the reason that Gonzaga's guards couldn't make a pass in the first 10 minutes of the Baylor game. That was a coaching decision that Scott Drew executed really well. Now, would Gonzaga be more prepared for the NCAA tournament and more prepared for some of the opponents they play if they played in the Big 12? Probably. I don't think that that's necessarily wrong. And I do think the Big 12, in terms of Interest in the sport, in terms of interest in Gonzaga, in terms of fun basketball from the very start of the season until the last game in March. Yeah, it probably contributes that. I also love, love the idea of Gonzaga in the Big East. Feasibly, it's very complicated. Is it financially worth jumping to the Big East where their piece of the pie is maybe not going to be as big as it would be in the Big 12 and they have even more travel? If you're taking all your sports traveling your soccer team to Washington, D.C. to play Georgetown or Stores, Connecticut, assuming UConn stays in the Big Big East, are those things going to be feasible financially? Hard to say. For me, I would love to watch Gonzaga in the Big East. Absolutely love it. Playing Marquette and Xavier and UConn and Creighton and all of those teams every single week would be absolutely incredible. All right, moving away from conference realignment talk for now, we'll be back with plenty more conference realignment conversation. In fact, episode later this week is going to be all about that. But this next question here comes from Zag in the Heartland on Discord. Got a couple questions from him. He says, with Perry looking better, do you think we could have he could have a Clark-esque season, not as great but still solid, if he plays either this year or next year and doesn't transfer? The, the short answer to this question is no. Uh, I think it's just pre, too premature to, to this, the first part of the question is where I have an issue with Perry looking better. We just don't really know that. We've seen a few videos of him. We've heard him say that he feels better. I hope to heck that he is 100% healthy. But I know what back injuries can do to six foot nine human beings. And it is really hard to ever get fully back, to ever be 100% again. I sincerely hope more than anything that Caden Perry can play a hundred percent basketball because it's just sad. If you, if you never get a chance to do that, if he never gets a chance to showcase that is Caden Perry at a hundred percent going to be able to replicate even 80% of who Brandon Clark is. My gut says probably not. And that's less of a indictment on Perry and more of a Brandon Clark was absolutely unbelievably insanely good in his one year at Gonzaga, one of the most proficient college basketball players in a single season that we've ever seen. But can Caden Perry be a 
backup big who protects the rim decently well, scores well around the rim, plays with a lot of energy. Yeah, I think he could do that. I think this year he's more likely to be in a four to six minutes per game type role. And next year, the only player who we know is leaving is Watson. If EK and Greg both come back, I'm not sure I see Perry playing enough minutes to ever really be a, you know, 25 ish minute per game guy. And if he's never that, I'm just not sure that the the comparisons to Clark will ever really materialize the way that we, that we hoped they would when he came out of high school. And it's unfortunate because the reasons that he hasn't been able to be that player are injuries. I mean, it's not because he wasn't as good as expected. It's not because Gonzaga refused to play him. It's just because he's been hurt. Maybe that'll change. Maybe he'll get more opportunities this year. Maybe that'll lead to him playing a bigger role next year. I think all of that is possible. I'm not sure we ever get anywhere close to the Brandon Clark, but if we get a productive backup center out of Caden Perry for a couple of years, that would be tremendous. Really great for him. Really great for the program. If he was able to do that. Final question. The first segment here comes again from Zag in the heartland on discord who says, what will Ryan need to accomplish at his time at GU to achieve the same heights as Andrew? Well, simple. We can talk about what Andrew accomplished while he was in Spokane. He was a two-time All-WCC performer. He was on the All-WCC tournament team. He also won WCC tournament MVP, and he was the WCC sixth man of the year while having a big role on a team that went to the NCAA championship. He was not the leader of that team, but he had a big role. And then he, of course, was the leader, the point guard of a team that went to the Sweet 16. That's a lot of things that would have to be accomplished. First of all, we can rule out WCC sixth man of the year. Ryan Emmer is not going to win that award because he is going to start every single game that he plays in a Gonzaga uniform, barring a senior night decision to bench him. But I do think Ryan Nemhard can be an all WCC first teamer. WCC tournament MVP is kind of a crapshoot. Maybe he's capable of being that. I don't know. Can he lead this team to a sweet 16 and farther? Absolutely. Heck yeah. Heck yeah, he can. He did that at Creighton. He can do that at Gonzaga without a doubt. I don't think it's crazy that if Ryan Nemhard plays two years in Spokane like Andrew did, I don't think it's crazy at all to expect that Ryan could reach a similar threshold of success. If he's able to lead this team to a national championship appearance, something that Andrew didn't really did, that was the year he won that sixth man award. He was a very valuable piece. Don't get me wrong, but Jalen Suggs was the guy who led that team. If Ryan can be that, he's going to supersede what Andrew did. But if Ryan could lead this team to multiple Sweet 16 appearances, maybe an Elite Eight appearance, maybe a Final Four appearance, can take home some hardware in the WCC awards and find himself drafted in the second round, I think he's going to end up leaving Gonzaga viewed favorably or at least similarly to Andrew Nembhard. Well, when will Gonzaga play Kansas, a game that has been rumored for a very long time? Will they ever play Arizona and Tommy Lloyd? We're going to discuss all that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, eBay Motors. For a championship team, it is all about making sure every single player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay's guaranteed fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to the My Garage and look for the green check to know if the part will fit, or you get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. eBay's guaranteed fit is only available to U.S. customers and eligible items only. Exclusions do apply.
All right, folks, I want to thank all of you for making Lockdown Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day. Shout out to the Shout out to those of you checking out the show on YouTube. Very much appreciated. We got more conference realignment com- conversations coming away later this week. We'll continue to talk about what Gonzaga is going to do with those open scholarships, if anything. And of course, we'll keep you posted as we get into August all about this Gonzaga basketball program. But first, we're going to continue our conversation here on Mailbag Monday. This question comes from Sam via Twitter DM. Sam says, if you could pick any teams to finalize Gonzaga's non-conference schedule, who would you pick and why? So there's four games left by my count on Gonzaga's non-conference schedule. That is assuming that the USC game is finalized, which I believe that it is finalized, but I don't. I think they're still working on finding an actual venue for it. Regardless, we're going to operate that there are four games left. I'm going to be realistic with my picks. If I wanted to be super unrealistic, I would say something like Arizona Duke, North Carolina Baylor. Would that be fun? Absolutely. It would be incredible. Duke's non-conference is already set. I think Baylor's is already set, although I'm not 100% sure. The Zags are probably not going to play Arizona. We'll talk about that momentarily. So instead, I'm going to pick more realistic. By my count, Gonzaga is probably going to add one more like marquee opponent. Good NCAA tournament caliber, power six, power five opponent. The rest of the games they add are probably going to be more tune-up style games. Those Alcorn States, North Florida's, those kind of games. So I'm going to keep it semi-realistic. I'm going to add a couple of those games that I think would be fun to add to the schedule. I'm going to add a couple more marquee-esque opponents. The marquee game that I'm adding, if I got to pick, is Xavier. And I wanted to pick Marquette because I love Marquette. And I also wanted to pick Creighton because I think both those would be fun. But I Creighton's not realistic. There's just no way Gonzaga and Creighton would play with Ryan Nampart on the roster. It's just not going to happen. Marquette is in the Maui Invitational, so they wouldn't play each other in a non-conference. So I picked Xavier. Xavier, of course, would be a rematch from last year. Gonzaga is already going to rematch with Purdue, who they played in the Phil Knight Invitational. Now they could, in theory, rematch with Xavier in this situation. Sean Miller versus Mark Few has always been fun. Always, always, always been fun. Two high-octane offenses. I'm curious what Xavier's going to look like. They lose Sule Boom, who was their best player last year. They lose um, Jack Nunji, Jack Jack Nunji, their big man last year. He graduated. That's two big losses for that Xavier program. Colby Jones got drafted in the NBA draft as well. So they got some, some work to do, but I think this is going to be a really fun, exciting, high-offense program, and I think it'd be fun if Gonzaga got to play them. Other couple teams here, BYU. I don't think Gonzaga and BYU are going to play each other this year. I do think they might revisit that series eventually, but I've always wanted to, I want Gonzaga to play BYU non-conference. There's already an established rivalry. A true home and home would be a good game for Gonzaga at home. It'd be a good game for BYU at their home. Uh, Gonzaga getting to play a, a big 12 opponent always helps. Even if it is a former WCC opponent, w, or BYU is not particularly good right now. I'm not sure they're going to be very good next season in the big 12, but it would be a decent game for Gonzaga and more just a fun game from a rivalry perspective. And then the last two are two semi-local teams, Seattle U. Most of you who are longtime listeners to the show or even not that longtime listeners to the show, You've heard me bang the drum for Gonzaga and Seattle U playing. I've never hidden my motivation behind wanting this game. I'm an alum of both schools. I graduated from Gonzaga two years later. I got my master's degree from Seattle U, so I've always wanted to see these two schools play each other because of a personal connection I have to the two schools. But it is also the only D1 program in the state of Washington that I can't remember Gonzaga playing in the last 
10 years, whenever the last time they played Washington State was, I suppose. So I think it'd be good to see Gonzaga play a regional opponent like Seattle U, especially a team that is gunning to get into the WCC. I'm not sure if they're going to be the pick, but a school that is in that conversation would be fun to see Gonzaga play. And then I'll round it out with Northern Arizona. The reason I picked Northern Arizona is because Gary Bell Jr., of course, Gonzaga's legendary shooting guard with those Kevin Pangos offenses at the turn of the 2010s. Gary Bell is an assistant coach at Northern Arizona. It'd be very fun to see him get an opportunity to coach or at least be on the sideline against Gonzaga in a game like that. And Northern Arizona is an opponent Gonzaga has played a handful of times in non-conference. So it'd be fun to get that one back on the calendar for this year. Next question here comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, if not this year, have you heard when we might see a Gonzaga-Kansas series or has that just managed to disappear like some game series do? It's definitely not going to be this year. Uh, Kansas' schedule is full uh, and teams do not play each other when they have a chance to match up in the uh, in the MTEs. And since Kansas is in the MTE, I don't know that they'll play Gonzaga. It's obviously if Gonzaga beats Tennessee and, or excuse me, beats Purdue and beats Tennessee or Syracuse and makes it to the championship game and Kansas does the same, then you could have a Gonzaga-Kansas Maui Invitational Championship, which boy, howdy, that would be a fun game of basketball were it to happen. But that's why the game's not on the calendar for this year. In terms of this game, which had been rumored and discussed and then just kind of died, I think that's what happened. It doesn't mean it won't get revisited. Could be next year, could be the year after that. Might be a long time down the road. Who knows what, what might happen here? I have not heard anything to specifically answer the question, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean it's dead in the water. It's just clearly on a hiatus right now. But Gonzaga, Kansas, true home and home, especially if they're willing to do it. Man, oh, man, that would be fun. Next question, another one from Jeff on a similar uh Similar theme, I should say. Jeff says, have you heard anything for when the Gonzaga-Arizona series will start up again after being put on pause a couple years ago? No, I have not. And frankly, I don't think that it's anytime soon. Gonzaga, of course, stopped playing Arizona when Tommy Lloyd took the head coaching job at Arizona. This is extremely common for programs to avoid playing assistant coaches in these situations. Uh, not always. I mean, certainly if an assistant coach takes a job in the same conference, the way that Jerome Tang took the head coaching job at Kansas State after being a 20-year assistant coach under Scott Drew at Baylor, that was a, a tenuous situation. And Kansas State beat Baylor and Jerome Tang jumped up on a table and celebrated. And uh, it was a cool moment for Jerome Tang. And it, it was very fun. But man, I can tell you a lot of Gonzaga fans wouldn't love to see Tommy Lloyd doing that uh, against them anytime soon. I think as long as there is still players who share this close connection. As long as Umar Balo is still as Arizona, it's not going to happen. I think Rem Bakamis being a director of player personnel at Arizona has an impact. Matthew Lang was a walk-on on the team last year. Shemek Karnowski is a graduate assistant at Arizona. Uh, Tommy bringing in guys that he knows that he's familiar with, totally understandable. I think it's great that those guys are getting these really cool jobs in college basketball. Being a uh, director of ops or being a graduate assistant at Arizona is an incredible job. And I know some Gonzaga fans don't like that Arizona is doing this, but like Tommy's going to hire who he knows. He's going to bring in the guys that he wants that he thinks are going to be good for those roles. But as long as those things are happening, I don't think we're going to see Gonzaga and Arizona play each other. I would venture that it's good. It's three years away minimum, but before these two teams play each other, I could be wrong. I'd be happy to be wrong. If they put it on the calendar for next year. Awesome. That's fantastic. But my guess is we're at least three years out from that happening. Final question here in the second segment goes to Red Flyer on Discord, who says, in your opinion, who are some of the most underrated Zags? This is an incredibly vague question, and I love it because it is a tough one to answer, but don't worry, I got some answers for you all. It kind of depends. It depends on when you became a fan. 
like there are players in the nineties who were really good before Gonzaga even exploded and became, you know, before Mark few took over as head coach, are those guys underrated or just not very well known kind of a, a semantics question, I suppose. Uh, it also depends on whether we're considering them underrated as in they didn't get NBA attention when they should have. Like is Elias Harris underrated because he only played two NBA games? My gut says no, because I think he was properly rated for being awesome while he was at Gonzaga, but he didn't have a career afterwards that people paid a lot of attention to. Mind you, he is still playing in Germany. He's had a very lucrative and professional basketball playing career. It just didn't happen in the NBA. And then, of course, are we talking about underrated amongst the Gonzaga fan base, underrated amongst the national conversation, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, all of that preamble to give you these four names of players that I feel are underrated uh, Zags. Number one, Stephen Gray. First name that popped in my head. Stephen Gray was absolutely awesome. He just wasn't on very good Gonzaga teams. He was on the team that lost to Davidson in the NCAA tournament. First time that they lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament, or the last time they lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament. That was back in 2008. Uh, the last couple teams he had flamed out in the second round. He just never really had a chance to make a deep run in March, but boy, was he talented on those teams. Philip Petrusev got a lot of hate for leaving Gonzaga early, a lot of hate for people perceiving that he was soft down low. He was extremely good at drawing contact, extremely good at getting to the free throw line. He averaged like 18 and eight and was one of the best big men in the entire country that sophomore year. Of course, he leaves and Drew Timmy takes over. So I think Petrusive kind of gets lost a little bit in the history books, but he was fantastic, especially that sophomore season for the Zags. Uh, two more guards I want to talk about. Josh Perkins, have to bring up Josh Perkins. Josh Perkins has so much vitriol from this fan base for being really, really good. <laughs> Josh Perkins was really good. Yes, there were some consistency issues. Yes, there were some things that people didn't like about who he was and just about maybe some flashiness that people didn't like. I'm not sure. I never really understood the hate for Josh Perkins. So trying to pretend I understand why people didn't like him. I just don't know. I don't get it. He was really, really good. Uh, one of the most productive Zag guards in the history of the, of the school. And then Ryan Woolridge. Ryan Woolridge gets underrated mostly because he didn't get a chance to make an NCAA tournament run because he, of course, only spent one year at Gonzaga and it was the year that the NCAA tournament was canceled because of COVID. Uh, incidentally, feel horrible for Ryan Woolridge. He spent three years at North Texas. They were very bad. He transferred to Gonzaga with the sole hope of getting a chance to start for a team that makes the NCAA tournament. Tournament gets bagged. He never plays in March. The next year, of course, Gonzaga makes the NCAA tournament, but so does North Texas. Really big bummer for Ryan Woolridge that that's how his career ended. Still playing professionally, played in the G League last year, continuing to have a lot of success, but was sad he never got that chance to, to play in March. All right, we're going to close out today's show answering more listener-submitted questions, all coming up right after this. All right, folks, final segment still... Andy Patton still answering Mailbag Monday questions here on the final day of July or the first day of August, depending on when you are listening to this show. We got four more questions to discuss here before we wrap things up. This first one comes from Wade on Discord. Wade says, what do you think is the biggest what if in modern Zag history? Probably around players as Meeks was definitely out of bounds. Certainly the Kennedy Meeks out of bounds conversation is one that could be had and one that should be mentioned in this conversation. Um, I'm not sure the full definition of modern Zags history, but I am going to say that I think one of the biggest what ifs in my mind, unquestionably, is what if Mark Few left for the reported Indiana job that he was offered in like 2004 
He's reportedly offered an Oregon job in the early 2000s as well. I don't know all of the specifics. I did read the fantastic book by Bud, Wither, Bud Withers. We are, or Glory Hounds, excuse me, all about Gonzaga. And it talked about their history. It talked about how Mark Few had a lot of offers in the early 2000s and never chose to leave. What if he did? What would have happened? I think that's a scary what if, because I think that the top answer is, I probably don't host a podcast about Gonzaga basketball if that happens. That is something that I feel pretty strongly is, is true in that situation. You could go back to what happens if Don, Dan Monson doesn't leave for the Minnesota job. Does Mark Few even get the job, et cetera, et cetera. There are a lot of what ifs around that time. But if we want to be more modern, I'm going to pick one very similar to the Kennedy Meeks answer uh, that Wade put in his question, which is, what if Shem didn't get poked in the eye against South Carolina? Karnowski got poked in the eye in that game against South Carolina, was down on the floor, ended up getting up, was recovered, was fine, played, started, played normal minutes against North Carolina in the championship game, but was not himself. He missed so many bunnies around the rim. It was endlessly frustrating to watch. It's not him. He wasn't like the most, he wasn't Brandon Clark or even Drew Timmy. He wasn't the most efficient low post scorer in like Gonzaga history or anything, but he was like one of eight or something. He, he was, he could not find the basket. And it's hard for me to not wonder how much, I mean, I've been poked in the eye. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts pretty bad. And it was only two days later. Like, I wonder how much of an impact that had on his performance in that game. Was it the difference? I have no idea, but that's why it's a what if. If Shem was fully healthy in that game, would Gonzaga have won? If not, fine. I still would have liked to see it. And what if they would have? I mean, that changes everything. Very interesting conversation there. This is a topic I could explore many, many, many more different scenarios, and perhaps we'll do it for another off-season episode later. Thanks for the question, Wade. Next up, another one from Zag in the Heartland on Discord who says, assuming Yo lives up to the hype, is it possible we could have two to three first round picks in next year's NBA draft? And he mentions Yo, Zoom, and Asa. So I'm assuming that he is referencing not the 2024 NBA draft, but the 2025 NBA draft, because in 2024, Zoom Diallo and Asa Nua will not be draft eligible. They will still be in college. They're not coming till the class of 2024. And the question makes the assumption that Yo lives up to the billing, but it is also clearly making the assumption that both Asa Newell and Zoom Diallo are coming to Spokane, which is not something we know. They're both being recruited by Gonzaga. They're both top 15 recruits in the class of 2024 at 24-7 Sports, at On3, at ESPN. I mean, they're, they're universally considered top 15 prospects, really good players. Newell is a six foot nine stretch four uh, really, really high upside kid. Zoom Diallo's point guard, Curtis High School in Tacoma. He's now playing at Prolific Prep in California, but one of the best pure point guard prospects we've seen come out of the Pacific Northwest in a really long time. Those two guys could easily be one and dones. Easily. Are they both coming to Gonzaga? Is one of them coming to Gonzaga? Are either of them coming to Gonzaga? I don't know. Gonzaga has been very involved in both players. That's a great sign that they could land at least one of them, and it's possible they land both, which would be extraordinary. In that case, is there a scenario where Zoom Diallo, Asa Newell both come to Gonzaga, both start in 2024, Jun Sakio becomes the player that we believe he's capable of being, and all three of those guys get drafted in the first round? Yeah, I think the odds are slim. A whole lot of things have to line up for that situation to come true. But it's not crazy to think that it could. It's it's really not. I think Yo could. I mean, I think Yo could get drafted this year. The best case scenario for Yo scenario and for Yo in year one is that he's he explodes this year, starts at the three, plays thirty minutes a night, ends up in the NBA. Again, I'm not sure that I would be betting on that to happen necessarily, but I it's it's definitely possible. 
Next question here comes from Spring on Discord. Spring says, how important do you think the team building activities are? We've had teams in the past that have done some awesome things and have some really close groups uh, that, and they've credited that experience. Timmy said they didn't do anything last year on his podcast and it kind of stuck with me. How much can off-court chemistry affect the team on the court? Well, addressing the question specifically, off-court chemistry impacting you on the court, yeah, it's huge. I mean, it matters a ton, I think. In terms of Gonzaga's off-court, on-court chemistry last year and them not taking a, a trip, I don't think like them missing a weekend trip last year or not doing some kind of group activity means that much. I'm also not sure. I mean, we Drew said they didn't do anything, and I'm not saying he's lying, but like, Maybe they just didn't do anything as expansive as they've done in the past. I'm sure they did things. It's not like they did no team building activities last year. I'm, I'm positive that they did. They may have just not done something as expansive or as extravagant and as, they've, as they've done historically. Part of the reason for that, and this is an issue that has cropped up a lot in recent conversations that media members have been having with coaches, is that the transfer portal and the NIL and everything that has changed in college athletics has created a situation where head coaches are busy 24-7. They do not have an offseason. And it's true. I mean, Gonzaga added Marcus Adams Jr. to the roster last week. Last year in late July, I don't remember what I was podcasting about, but it wasn't breaking news about players joining the roster. That did not happen. Now it happens. We're getting reports right now that it sounds like there's some players who are unhappy with their teams who might re-enter the portal. If they're grad transfers, they can do that. So what has created a situation? I mean, coaches are leaving the industry. Coaches are saying, I don't have any time with my family. Like it's created a, a, an issue, a significant problem in the industry. How specifically related it is to Gonzaga or other schools not doing as many team building activities and, and like weekends away or whatever. I don't know. I'm not going to say that that's the specific reason it didn't happen last year or isn't happening this year. I don't know if it's happening this year or not, but I do think that that there is an element of, of some of that stuff that is going away with the modern college basketball game. And I do think that having those kind of team building activities is important. Marcus Adams Jr. When he committed to Gonzaga said that he got a bunch of calls from teammates and everybody or from Gonzaga players. Everybody was excited to see him. Everybody wanted him to come to campus. I don't have any concerns about this team's camaraderie about this team, you know, connecting last year, maybe there were some issues there, some underlying stuff going on. Of course you see a couple players transfer that sometimes can be an indication, but I, I, I wouldn't pin a lot on this, a lot of anything on these specific trips, but I do think Gonzaga should continue to take them. And I'm sad that the schedule isn't really allowing them to do so. Final question of the show. Another one from Zag in the heartland. He says, if you could call a GU game this year with the schedule, we know which game would you pick and who would you want to do it with? Fun question. He says this can include former players and or coaches, media personalities, et cetera, et cetera. It would be really hard for me to pass up the opportunity to uh, get on a call with Adam Morrison in the UConn game in the battle in Seattle. That would be so fun. I'm not a broadcaster. I don't have broadcasting experience. I think it would be really fun to broadcast a game. And I have long considered finding a way to get involved where I do some kind of broadcast on my own. I don't know if people would be interested in that. Perhaps uh, if they weren't a fan of the people who are actually calling the game on TV, maybe we could find a way to make something like that work. But if I had to pick somebody who I wanted to call a game next to that is Zag adjacent, Adam Morrison is the obvious pick. I think it'd be so fun to pick his brain to talk to him about that. And uh, Zags aren't playing UCLA, so I, I wanted to pick a game that I just think would be a really fun game. And Gonzaga versus UConn with Adam Morrison, hard to beat, hard to beat. 
A lot of other ones I love. I love Richard Fox. I'd love to call a game with him. I think it's fantastic getting a chance to talk to him and his experience, um, having been a player for, for Mark Few so long ago and watching this team in the modern era. Love Sean Farnham. Who wouldn't want to call a game with Sean Farnham? He's an absolute blast to be around. Uh, my dark horse pick is the Gonzaga-USC game with Bill Walton. I don't actually want to call a game with Bill Walton. Look, I love Bill Walton. I have not hidden that on this show. I get why people don't like him. I totally understand it. It is, it is, it can be grating to listen to him, but he's a very good basketball analysis analyst when he's talking about basketball. Would I actually want to be the person who's trying to rein him in for an entire game? No, it sounds really exhausting. Tremendous hats off to Dave Pash for doing it the way that he does. But sitting next to Bill Walton and needling him about how USC and UCLA are leaving the big, the Pac-12 would be pretty fun. So I can't really say I wouldn't hate doing that, but the whole rest of the process would be pretty darn exhausting. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us today here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Once again, thank you so much for joining the show today. For if it's your first time listening, 10th time listening, 150th time listening, whatever it may be, I appreciate every single one of you. Uh, you can find the show wherever you get podcasts. You can find us on YouTube as well. Go hit that subscribe button. We're getting pretty close to 2,000 subscribers on the Locked On Zags channel. It'd be really cool to get there before the start of the season. If you have not done so yet, just go to Locked On Zags on YouTube. Hit that big red subscribe button. Again, very much appreciated. Thank you all for listening, and of course, until next time, go Zags.